the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to yet another episode of Funk Radio. Sorry we've been off the air for a while, but that's true. Things exploded in our lives. Well, not really, but... I'm Kyle. And I'm Peter. God, it's been, what, two or three weeks since we've... Yeah. Done this. I don't know. We've just both been busy. I know you've been more busy than I have, but sometimes I, we get in a funk. You know, that's we a get, pun. We get, we get in a funk funk. Yeah. I had, like, all the works uh, these last two weeks because we had we were trying to meet this massive deadline. And it all culminated in me working, like, a 24 hours straight. God. But I, is stuff sent off now? Yeah, it's done and everything went over smoothly. Yeah. And I got Friday off. Yeah. yeah. So I've been very busy, and thus Funk has taken a, a backseat on the bus. <laughs> now here on the Funk Radio, Funk always has the front seat of the bus. So uh, we thought for this episode it would be fun because we well, our last episode was was about what was our last episode about? Uh, something. Which <laughs> I know which one it was. When we had a couple of guests on, we were talking about which ones to make love to or kill. Yes. That seems like it was so long ago. I know, right? Uh, we thought that as a sort of good jump off of that, we would discuss songs with sexual innuendos. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we get started, I wanted to say something. We passed the one-year mark of our podcast. Oh, yeah. And we completely like, forgot to celebrate it or whatever. It was like September 7th or something? Yeah, I think 6th. I don't remember. Or 9th. I don't remember. But it was like a week ago. And we, I think we, were, we said a while back that we were going to try to do something special for that but we forgot but that's okay so i think it's it's more pertinent to do it at like numbers of episodes milestones once we hit like 75 we'll do something else yeah that makes more sense that'll probably be around like november i think but we do appreciate all you listeners uh tuning into us for over a year now so that's pretty cool so sexual innuendos in popular american songs yeah because america loves sex as much as it likes to pretend it doesn't yeah so, I guess on that subject, the first song we have in our repertoire is an oldie but a goodie, uh, is the song Dust My Broom by Elmore James. Take a guess at what you think that means. <laughs> it's funny because, specifically in blues, especially older blues, there is like a ton of sexual innuendos yeah. in pretty much all of their songs, and they usually are so like innocuous that it's like obvious what they mean, but like they're hidden enough that like you know back in the 30s and 40s they're not going to get in trouble for profanity or anything this is kind of similar to when we talked about um just songs that were banned in general um mm-hmm. a lot of these older songs they basically have to use indie windows because they can't yeah, say exactly. stuff out right so exactly but the song this this song in particular was actually originally recorded as i'll believe i believe i'll dust my burn by robert johnson who we discussed in an earlier episode as one of the first pioneers of the blues in the uh, late 20s and was he, uh, was he the blind guy or was no. he not he was the guy that i'm like, thinking of blind lemon jefferson he was the guy that died by being poisoned by whiskey or something oh uh, remember we did like that thing on like sad deaths yeah his was, but like it was all like an urban legend because he died like in the 30s oh yeah so it was originally recorded by mr johnson in 1936 in texas However, in 1951, 15 years later, it was recorded by Elmore James, and he just shortened it to Dust My Room, mm. and he recorded it on the Trumpet Records label. 
this ended up becoming really kind of a staple of James Blue's career, and he wrote a lot of songs around it. He wrote a song called Dust My Blues, and when he toured, he toured with like... Dust My Blues? Yeah, I don't even know. And he, in, when he started touring, he toured with a band that he called the Broom Dusters. It was like, <laughs> his, really whole sh- it was like his whole shtick, basically. Um, but James's version was actually inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1998, so oh, cool. it was a big deal. I looked up to see like what different, you know, what diff- what people thought about the sexual innuendo because that's the thing is like a lot of these because they are just that they're innuendos. Different people read different things into them, so there's no like right or wrong answer as to what it means. Right. And I guess in the South, there's a term called jumping the broom, which means going from one like steady relationship with a woman to another. Hmm. So. If you were ready to say move on with another woman, you would quote unquote dust off the broom and move on to a new relationship, hmm. which is consistent with the meaning of kind of starting over or starting fresh. Right. So it's it's got that sort of double meaning of moving on, and so it's I guess it could be construed as two things that he does. He either moves on from his current relationship with a woman onto another relationship, or he gets dumped by a woman and just said screw it, I'm going to masturbate. <laughs> I guess so. I I prefer the latter, but uh, <laughs> so let's listen to a little clip of Elmore James's version of Dust My Room, and you guys can judge for yourself whether or not it's about jerking your gherkin. Was uh, dust my broom by Elmer James? Definitely like. We hope you dust your broom to that last. I hope it didn't take them that quick of time, because mm. <laughs> we usually only play like 15 minute segments. Coming up next <laughs> is a song called "My Dingling" by Chuck Berry. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> yeah, this is actually a novelty song originally recorded by Dave Bartholomew in 1952 for King Records. Um, it was covered by Chuck Berry in 1972 and became his only U.S. number one single on the pop charts, which That's kind of really, surprised me. Really sad. Um, <laughs> and something I found interesting was uh, later in that same year, 1972, he recorded a longer, unedited form of the song included on the London Chuck Berry sessions, which included two members of the Average White Band, guitarist Ani McIntyre and Robbie McIntosh played on that song so that's pretty cool okay speaking of macintosh do you remember that like i don't think it was a disney movie but it was like a movie where this kid got a blank check from his grandma for his birthday and then he like just wrote in like a million dollars and went to the bank and somehow the bank was like oh that makes sense so they gave him a million dollars and because he's like an eight-year-old with a million dollars he blew it all and then he ended up getting um what's that fat guy that was an uncle buck whose name escapes me right now oh my gosh john candy, john candy. He ended up getting John Candy as a butler. <laughs> John Candy taught him the meaning of life. Now, in the movie, was John Candy playing himself, or was he? No, he was. He was just a butler. Okay. He wasn't like he didn't say, "I want John Candy as my butler." <laughs> I want that guy from Cool Runnings. <laughs> but no. Um, anyways, I just remember that because the when he had to write a name on the check to make up, mm-hmm. he like looked at his computer and his computer was a Macintosh 
uh, it was like the 80s or early 90s, and he just wrote like you know Billy Macintosh in the check. Oh, funny. I don't know why this reminded me of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Well, speaking of gifts from your grandmother, this song, My Dingling, tells of how Chuck Berry received a toy consisting of quote unquote silver bells hanging on a string from his grandmother, and he calls it his dingling. And uh, throughout the song, he plays with his ding-a-ling in school and holds on to it in dangerous situations like falling after climbing the garden wall and swimming across a creek infested with snapping turtles. Um, the, the lyrics consistently exercise a double entendre with ding-a-ling standing for his penis. Um, and really funny, this made me laugh out loud when I was reading it. Um, during the live version of this song, Barry calls in the audience to join in on the chorus, and in the final verse, he says... Those of you who will not sing must be playing with your own dingling. <laughs> so, uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Just reading the description of this made me laugh. That is pretty awesome. So he's holding, <laughs> he, he holds on to his dingling in dangerous situations. I remember, oh, I wish, I, I wish we could get the sound by from it, but some, like, uh, one of the many Simpsons episodes, there was, like, a, a talent show and like some random kid from class just came comes out and he starts singing that song. Oh, I remember that. And then the principal scares like and like pushes him off stage. Wasn't that Ralph? No, it was just some random kid who kind of like. That's so weird. I didn't even think of that until you said that. He was just like my dangling, my principal scared out and kicked him off stage. Man, that was old. Yeah, it had to be like one of the first like eight seasons, which is somehow old for The Simpsons. Yeah, well. Keeping this penis joke in mind. Keeping the penis alive. Yeah. <laughs> Let's listen to a clip of My Dingling by Chuck Berry. I was a little bitty boy. My grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bells hanging on a string. She told me it was my dingling We hope you waxed held on to... We hope you... What? Waxed, waxed the bishop. <laughs> sure. I was going to say we hope you held on to your ding to that last song. But... Uh, this is all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was my ding Next song we have... Not Kyle's this. ding It was no. Chuck Berry's ding The next song we have is Darling Nikki by Prince... It's a song that was uh, produced, arranged, composed, and performed by Prince, and originally released on his Grammy Award-winning 1984 album, Purple Rain, which I own on vinyl, by the way. Um, though the song was actually not released as a single, it gained wide notoriety for its sexual lyrics, partly because of the lyrical content of Darling Nikki. Tipper Gore, wife of Al Gore, founded the Parents Music Resource Center, which eventually led to the use of parental advisory stickers and imprints on album covers. We discussed this before uh, in that episode where we talked about banning songs. Oh, and there was... In My House by the Mary Jane Girls. Mm-hmm. So this, this was another like song on their hit list. Oh, cool. That they used to justify What do they call it? The something 15? The Naughty 15 or Filthy 15. Filthy, Some, filthy 15. I think something like that, yeah. If, you, if there's one thing government loves, it's frickin' ac- uh, not acronyms, but alliteration. <laughs> yeah. And acronyms. <laughs> so, yes, compared with the slick production of, of other songs on the album, Darling Nikki is much more raw and raunchy, so to speak. Cool. With like a very uh, like a live feel, like you're just listening to him playing, and it's not overdubbed with the magic of 
80 synthesizers. Cool. The song tells the story of a sex friend named Nikki who seduces the singer. In the film Purple Rain, the song is directed towards Apollonia Kateros character when she decides to work with Prince's character's rival, who is played by Morris Day. That, by the way, Peter, is where I learned about that guy who I said, oh, look up Morris Day, because he played a lot with Prince and is just kind of a fellow fellow funky star of the 80s. Uh, had that really famous song, Jungle Love. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, which probably could have actually got thrown in this list, but whatever. Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, Darling Nikki is very suggestive. There's mention of masturbation and porn and basically like sex. So she's basically his friend with whom he makes love. Friend with benefits. That's the term. Like that movie with Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. Yeah. And Prince, in the 80s especially, was kind of known for being very debaucherous and often wore very scantily clothing. And I think in some of his concerts he actually wore acid chaps. That is actually kind of awesome. <laughs> Which is funny because the guy was like five foot two. Like he's crazy short. Huh. But yeah, he was definitely pure, unadulterated sex in the eighties, and women loved him. But he was also very—he was like the black boy George, so to speak. <laughs> Maybe a little less androgynous, but mm. just as raunchy. Cool. Um, so yeah, let's let's listen to a little clip of "Darling Nikki" by Prince. She took me to her castle, and I just couldn't believe my eyes. She had some. Mix- My parents just saw him in concert a couple of years ago. Prince? Yeah, he actually, like, nowadays purposely plays, like, small venues because he likes more intimate settings. And That's I cool. the venue he was playing at was basically, like, about to be shut down because they ran out of money, and he, like, basically used his Prince powers to raise enough money to keep the place going. Oh, wow. Just because he had the venue. His he, Prince powers. His Kitty powers. Yes. Thank you. So yeah, that was that was definitely a big song in the eighties, and as we learned, led to the parental advisory stickers that you see on records now. You can thank Prince for that partially. Yeah, way to go, Prince. Well, that was not to get too political. That was just the part of the push of the whole what did, what did Reagan call it, the moral majority in the eighties, mm-hmm. when suddenly America gained a conscience. And... Yeah. Okay, remember in the Simpsons, I, I love using Simpsons references. But remember the the wife of the reverend who like basically her only line ever is what would somebody think of the children oh yeah that's basically like an extrapolation of the persona of like the momly america of the 80s was like it was all about like protecting the children from filth (laughs) so yeah simpsons definitely hit the nail on the head there hey hit the nail on the head that can be a innuendo kind of that's true hammer the nail or hit the head on the nail what (laughs) never mind (laughs) Our next song is Serpentine Fire by Earth, Wind, and Fire. This is a pretty cool song. So if you don't know, and we hope you do, um, Earth, Wind, and Fire was an RB slash disco slash funk band, popular in the mid to late 70s. This particular song, Serpentine Fire, was released on December 3rd, 1977, and spent seven weeks at number one on the R&B chart, which is awesome. And I didn't know this, but Billboard magazine ranked this song as the number one R&B single for the year 1978. Wow, really? Yeah, so I don't know if 1978 was not that good of a year of music or this song is just that great. It is a pretty good song. That's true. 78, though, by 78, R&B was kind of morphing into, like, the sort of Rick James funky. Mm, 
yeah. sound, and then sort of like the Eddie Kendricks, you know, Lionel Richie direction. So yeah, they played this at that concert we went to, right? Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah, it's one of their big ones they've ever had. In our very first episode, didn't we mention that we went to this concert? Oh yeah, that's right, because we saw the concert in August. That's right. Uh, yeah. Um, so so we had to be close to one of the first episodes. Speaking of concerts, I was kind of bummed because I saw Tower of Powers playing at the LA Fair, and I was uh, like, oh, poo, we already saw them. But they're playing with freaking Average White Band. Oh, did we miss it? Are they still doing it? No, it's in, like, September, October, or something, I don't know, when the LA Fair is. Oh, man. But, like, I want to see Average White Band, but I already saw Tower of Power. Those two bands are pretty similar, sort of, too, so... Kind yeah. I think I can see Except how they... Except one is white. That's true. Well, a lot of the guys from Tower Power are white. Yeah, I'll look into that, but if tickets are, like, super cheap, I wouldn't mind seeing them again. But yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I was disappointed because I didn't end up going to any of the fairs this summer. Didn't you say there was, like, nothing really worth saying? Yeah, that's why I didn't go, because I would go if there were concerts to go to, but nah. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, maybe next year. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so back to Serpentine Fire. In an interview with the Washington Post in 2011, just a couple of years ago, um, one of Earth, Wind, and Fire's vocalists, Philip Bailey, commented on the Serpentine Fire metaphor. He says, quote, Maurice White, at that point in time in our career, was studying a lot of metaphysics and a lot of Eastern philosophy. And Serpentine Fire, I'm not an expert on the whole thing because I had to ask him myself, but it's actually the sex drive or sexual impulse. Okay. Well... <laughs> I mean, when you think about the lyrics, I mean, it's talking about the serpent and it has fire. So when you think about it, it's kind of about... You trouser snake. Yeah. So if your serpentine fire is burning, that means you're aroused by something or someone. Or you have a really bad STD. Yeah. (laughs) I hope that's not what it's about. You know, it's weird because I actually, I added this onto the list because I was listening to it one day and it kind of just dawned on me through those lyrics that that is what it could be about and when I was just um, doing research on it that ended up being correct really yeah so I do I wasn't sure about it until recently which is cool that's funny so although Maurice White who is the band's leader he was evidently responsible for the song's title uh, however the keyboardist slash musical director Larry Dunn credits the song's basic premise to Sonny Burke who was a veteran arranger and keyboardist featured on many R&B recordings um, although he doesn't really have any actual connections with Earth, Wind, and Fire, except for being the co-writer of this song. So I guess maybe that's up for debate. Let's go ahead and listen to a clip of Serpentine Fire, and we'll see if your Serpentine Fire starts burning to this song. Once again, that was Serpentine Fire by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I really like that song. It's not really a one that I'll, even people who know Earth, Wind, and Fire songs don't always know this song. Yeah, but maybe because the title is less recognizable, but it's definitely it's one of their notable songs, but not notable enough that like everyone's like, oh yeah. Yeah. But it's a very good song. It's probably one of my favorites by them. Yeah, me too. Um, so up next is. The song Walking the Dog by Rufus Thomas. This is a really weird song. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Okay. 
It was released on his 1963 album, Walking the Dog, same title. Um, and it was his signature hit and also his biggest, reaching number 10 at the Billboard Hot 100 in December of 1963, and remaining at the Hot 100 for 14 weeks. Wow. It's like the whole season. The lyrics make frequent references to children's nursery rhymes. And just to... That makes it really creepy. Yeah. Just to... Uh, show the first verse to you just so you guys can like see all the sexual random because some of some of it like you you hear it and you're like okay that's sexual but i don't know why (laughs) and this is one of those instances the first verse goes baby back dressed in black silver buttons all down her back high hose tipsy toes she broke the needle and she can't sew i just feel dirty reading that (laughs) yeah especially like the last line she broke the needle and she can't, so that yeah. seems like it could be a reference to a number of different things. Exactly. <laughs> so there's much, there's much, I guess, debate that Warren the dog is in in the window for having sex. Mm. But yeah, if you if you actually go through the lyrics of the song, there are a lot of like weird nursery rhyme references, but like in like in you and Donic, in you in I'm gonna stop making up words <laughs> in uh in very suggestive ways, and it is just bizarre. And he, the cover for the the cover for the album it's just him being creepy and like walking a bulldog, but then like turning around and looking back over his shoulder at you. It's like he's staring into your soul. Wait, I'm gonna look this up really quick. Yeah, <laughs> that's really creepy. Right? He's not even walking it. He's just like there's just a dog and he's looking at you. Oh, <laughs> cool. So yeah, there's that going on for him. He has a funny. He makes funny faces. Yeah, a lot of his pictures, he's making funny yeah, smiles. It's kind I of didn't, yeah, I didn't realize he was like around in like the early '60s. Hmm. He's been he's was going strong for a while. Huh. So yeah, that's that. I mean, not much more to say about it other than that it's creepy. He's creepy and. You feel, you feel dirty for listening to this. Let's listen to a little clip of Walk of the Dog by Rufus Thomas, and you guys can scrub your uh, scrub your tongues clean afterwards. Baby back, dressed in black, silver buttons all down her back. Hello, tipsy toe. She broke a needle and she can't so walk in the dog. That's a walking bird dog. So we hope you heard some of those creepy children's nursery <laughs> nursery rhymes in the, the lyrics there. We hope you we hope you choked the kitty to walk in the dog. I'm petting a kitty right now because you said that. That's a nice kitty. <laughs> oh my god! So this guy at my work, who's kind of a little heavy set, okay, recently got. Uh, Do you call him heavy guy? No. He recently got glasses, right? And I didn't even know he needed glasses. Okay. Because he's like sort of like hipster, he got like these black frame, thick frame glasses that were like huge lenses, mm-hmm. and he kind of like slicks his hair to the side. Yeah. So I'm like, oh my god, you look like bubbles. <laughs> and he's like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm like, have you ever seen Trailer Park Boys? He's like, no. So I sent him that YouTube clip of Bubbles with the cat. <laughs> so I just call him Bubbles now all the time. <laughs> Either that or I call him Wally because he kind of looks like Wally. Oh, that's funny the goggle eyes you know how we were saying in a previous episode how we give names to people who we don't know yeah well, I, know like, name. I just like to make fun of him right but um because you have hair guy right i have hair guy 
Isn't, didn't you say there was like hair guy? There was like hair, like like hairy guy or something. Cause oh, because as of the last week or two, I have a hair guy now. What? So is he hairy or does he? No, have... he just has long hair. Oh yeah, I have long hair guy. That's right. Oh, long hair. That's the one he was talking. Yeah, because I'm like I'm like everyone has hair. How does that differentiate him? <laughs> I still want an afro guy. And I could maybe, maybe you have to become him. I could just call him Afro Man. I was joking that for Halloween, our Halloween party, I was going to come dressed as Bootsy Collins. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. And the CEO was like, I would die if you did that. <laughs> In a good way or a bad way? In like a funny way of like, uh, look ridiculous and I would laugh. You have to get those sunglasses that are shaped like stars. Oh, of course. Or moons. I think he had ones that were shaped like moons. Like half moons or whatever those are. Do you think he had one for each shape of Lucky Charms? <laughs> I think so. I think he had like a line of LSD shaped like Lucky Charms, <laughs> and that he that he like gave out at concerts, and he's like, they're magically hypnotic. Taste the rainbow. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Speaking of rainbow, in that in that whole time span, we have to stay up for 24 hours at work. I guess there was this inside joke because one of the client side people we deal with, in one of her, their responses, like to one of our last rounds of getting stuff approved. Well, she said, like, I'm so happy I could shit rainbows. <laughs> and so they wanted to do that, use an inside joke, so they they uh, took, you know, Neon Cat? Yeah. That little pop tart cat that craps rainbows and flies. Yeah. They wanted me to take Neon Cat and just do something with it on, a, on one of those, like, the huge ribbons that we make. Okay. So, uh, now, mind you, these ribbons that we designed for the stadium were, like, 500 feet long and, like, 12 feet high. Okay. And... So, in the ribbon, I have two neon cats coming from either end of the ribbon, and, like, they're just crapping rainbows the entire way, so it's just, like, a stream of rainbows. And when they touch in the middle, they just touch, and then after, like, a half a second, they just explode into a giant ball of fire that engulfs the entire ribbon. And then the fire fades out, and it just loops back. That's awesome. And... Did you send it to them? Yeah, of course. I sent it. <laughs> and I, I told my, uh, one of the guys there, I'm like, dude, if they end up playing this, for the love of God, get footage. Yeah. Because I will become the king of the internet. Pretty sure you will. Anyways. So, funky listeners, if you watch the game of... Football. Are you allowed to say the name of the team that you were? Yeah, Patriots. Okay. Yeah, it's already done, so... Cool. Yeah, if any of you guys... And they're not, they're not baseball, as I thought for the first... I cannot game. believe you thought the Patriots were baseball. Like That sounds know. like a very baseball name. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it sounds like the Yankees is baseball. Like, everyone knows the Yankees is baseball. Right. But I don't get... Red Sox. Red Sox are the Boston team for baseball. Well, fine. <laughs> what do we got next, Mr. Peter? We have a song... Pushing Inside You. Pushing Inside You by a group called Sons of Funk. The Sons of Funk were an American R&B slash hip-hop group from New Orleans, Louisiana, signed to No Limit Records. They were only active for a couple of years in the late 1990s, I think 97 to 99. They only released one album called The Game of Funk, which is a pretty cool name, and that was released on April 21st, 1998. Pretty much the last known thing that they did was that they produced some of the songs on hip-hop artist Moby Dick's album Gangsta Harmony in 1999, and after that, they pretty much disappeared from the face of the music business as we know it. So nobody really knows what happened to them. That's sad. I like the name Gangsta Harmony, though. Yeah, me too. I like, I like Moby Dicks. Yeah, see? Because basically that could his, mean anyone, though. His name is Mo Dick. Mo Dick. 
that's not that's not innuendo an innuendo at all. Yeah. So I didn't really this base is basically the, all the information I have about this song. So I decided to grab some of the lyrics from one of the verses of the song, and I thought I'd read it to you listeners so that you get an idea for the kind of innuendos that are in this song. I mean, this is borderline not even innuendo. This is basically just saying, I'm going to have sex with you. But um, let's listen to some of these lyrics. He says, you know, I know it's going to be good, girl. I can feel your water streaming down all around. Here's my love. Am I qualified in your eyes? I can feel myself deeper, deeper inside, pushing in your body. Ooh, <laughs> lay you by my side. I'll let you light my fire. I can see it in your eyes. So... <laughs> That's getting to the point where it's Peter, not even just porn. <laughs> yeah. It's just audio. I mean, comparing that to basically all of these other ones so far, this is a lot more uh, graphic in its depictions of make it move. It's it's still not as bad as that song Bubble Bud. Oh yeah. By Major Laser. <laughs> Go. Well, now that you're terrified by these lyrics I just read from pushing inside you, you can hear them again. From a slightly better voice. Feel the sons of funk push inside you. Yeah. You know I know it's gonna be good, girl. I can feel your water streaming down all around. Here's my love and I'm qualified in your eyes. We hope that last song pushed inside your ears. You are now all pregnant. With the funk. <laughs> What's up next, Mr. Kyle? Uh, up next is another blues song, because there's not enough sexy blues in your life. This song is Little Red Rooster by Howlin' Wolf. Um, guess what that's about? Howlin' Wolf recorded Little Red, the Red Rooster in 1961, a song credited to blues arranger and songwriter Willie Dixon. A variety of performers have interpreted it, including Sam Cooke, Willie Maven, The Doors, and The Rolling Stones. Mm. who had important record chart successes with the song. I had heard the Sam Cooke version before. Mm -hmm. I think I have the Sam Cooke version as well. Wolf later recorded the Red Rooster with several rock figures, including Eric Clapton, Steve Winwood, Bill Wyman, and Charlie Watts for his 1971 album, The London Howlin' Wolf Sessions. And uh, Hey, that's just like the Chuck London, Berry, London Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry Sessions. What you'll learn is a lot of black guys from the that played blues or rock in the 50s and 60s went over to London to record because a lot of the music that came out of London from the late 60s and 70s was horribly inspired by these American artists from the 50s and 60s, so they brought them over because they were basically their idols. Interesting. Oh, speaking of idols, uh, this is actually about Holland Wolf, so it's, it's sort of relevant. Okay. It's just kind of sad, but um, Howlin' Wolf was like a really, really big fan of um, Elmore James, mm -hmm. who we discussed because Elmore James was a bit before Howlin' Wolf. And, but Elmore James, because he had kind of limited success in his, in his time, was with like Dust My Girl and stuff, basically by like the late 50s had become like fallen off the face of the blues planet and basically <laughs> become a raging alcoholic. And because Wolf looked up to him, he wanted to do a session with him. And he brought him in to record and basically, by that point, because Elmore James had just be kind of become an alcoholic, he was kind of a dick. <laughs> oh, uh, so, that's kind And the Hollow Wolf got started getting really fed up with him and started basically just yelling at him and like calling him a drunk and loser. Wow. <laughs> because he basically like was so completely devastated because like his idol 
like basically he was like slapped like so to speak slapped in the face by his idol yeah. and i think actually he tried elmer james to try to punch him at one point oh god <laughs> so well, he was literally yeah. slapped in the face by so it's kind of sad and i think because uh i think there's footage of this somewhere in the internet world but it's oh. just kind of a sad circumstance of like your idols not being as awesome as you uh-huh. tend them to be i was gonna ask if there was any if they actually did end up recording anything. They recorded some stuff, but it was basically like a moot point of like, basically, Elmore <laughs> James was like too drunk to do anything. That's funny. So, and he, he kept like badgering like Hell and Wolf, like, yo, you're not doing it right, you're not playing right, and like, then you do it, you're not doing anything. <laughs> um, That's kind of sad. Yeah. So, that happened. But anyways, back to this song, uh, Little Red Rooster, I wanted to show a little bit of the lyrics just so you guys could see the innuendo of it so to speak um one of the line one of the verses goes if you see my little red rooster please drag him home there ain't no place in the barnyard since the red rooster been gone and in searching the interwebs as to what the hell this means uh a lot of people came to the conclusion that it's kind of talking about a guy's virility basically his ability to have sex because in the 50s and 60s, especially, like, in the southern areas, like, that was, like, your entire, literally your manhood. And a loss of virility through the age or whatever kind of takes away your pride. So it's about, like, his little rooster left him and he has to go find it and his rooster being his penis. And there ain't no no peace in the barnyard since the red rooster's been gone, basically meaning that... The barnyard is the vagina. Right, that he... His relationship with a woman is it's stymied, is stymied by his lack of sexual potency. by his lack of rooster. Yes, it's just like that song, "Detachable Penis." That sounds vaguely familiar. Okay, wait, you remember that song, "Detachable Penis"? I, I think it's. I think you sent it to me, but I don't remember. It's. I think it's by like the Butthole Surfers or something. Let me see. Oh, it's by King Missile. That's so much less sexual. Um. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's nothing to do with funk. It's just this awesome song called Detachable Penis about a guy who somehow has a detachable penis and he loses it and it ends up at like a swap meet and he has to buy it back. <laughs> that would be a terrible situation. Right? Um, anyways, this is exactly like that. He loses his rooster, he loses his penis. And then he has to go buy it back. And then he has to go buy it back at like a, a farm. Flea market. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, let's listen to a little clip of this song, and hopefully none of you lose your, lose your roosters to it. See, when I listen to funk radio... I get a lot of roosters. Actually, no, that would not be good because it's just you and me talking about stuff. So uh, that would not give me a lot of roosters. Really? But we hope it gives you roosters, funky listeners. Oh, by the way, totally screwed everything. I didn't screw everything up about that about that uh, story par- uh, parable I just told with Howlin' Wolf, and it's still relevant. It wasn't. It wasn't Elmer James that, that this happened with. It was actually Chuck Berry. Oh, that actually makes more sense then. Yeah, because Chuck Berry was really popular in the 50s, but then by the 60s he kind of started to fade away. Right. And became alcoholic and kind of a douche. Uh, so the story was the same, it was just Chuck Berry? Yeah. Said. Uh, Chuck Berry basically became a John. I mean, he was always kind of an egotistical a-hole, but right. 
losing his fame made him somehow more so. Uh, that's and too bad. Helen Wolf idolized him because he was kind of one of the forefathers of rock. Mm. So, and it's still relevant because we talked about Chuck Berry. Wasn't Helen Wolf in that Chess Records movie? Well, a, a character playing his character. The character. Well, not him. <laughs> but, like, wasn't he kind of an a-hole himself in that movie? Yeah, I mean, they all had their egotisms about it. I mean, he, him and Muddy Waters did not get along at all. Yeah. Um, because of their creative differences. But, uh, yeah, Alan Wolf is represented in that movie. Yeah. Because he was part of that whole Chicago blues scene. Good stuff. We still need to talk about that movie on this show. I know, I love that movie. Well, should I talk about our last song for today? I think you should. Our last song for today is called Dookie Stick by George Duke. Uh, if you don't know, he was a keyboard pioneer, composer, singer, arranger, music director, writer, and producer of numerous acclaimed artists in jazz and popular music. Sad fact, I had no idea, but apparently he just died about a month ago Aww. on August 5th, 2013. Uh, he died of leukemia at the age of 67. Jeez. And so he, I, I'm, I said he was active up until 2013, so I'm assuming he was active in music until his death. And he had been since, like, 67 or something, so it had been almost 50 years that he was active, so that's quite a career. Yeah. But that makes me kind of sad. And we completely missed that he died, too. Yeah, really. That's, I don't know how I missed that. It's sad. Yeah. So, the do song... He, do you think he was buried with his dookie stick? I hope so. It's like an Egyptian staff or something. Yeah. Dookie Stick, the song, is a humorous funk slash R&B song released by Duke in 1977. Something interesting is that uh the song's musical sound kind of emulates the p-funk style that was popularized by parliament funkadelic uh throughout the 70s and there was originally a lot of speculation about the song that the bass was performed by p-funk's legendary bassist bootsy collins who kyle was just talking about a few minutes ago but in fact it was byron miller the bassist for duke's band oh really yeah so it wasn't him but i, I guess i did a really good job of emulating that same sound the more you know yeah. Something I found from George Duke's website, um, and in his own words, he mentioned this song briefly. He says, quote, The dookie stick was and still is a magic wand in the tradition of Star Wars, but with a finely tuned funk alignment. The dookie stick was a magic wand that caused everything to happen. <laughs> Isn't that basically the same definition we gave the dick at the apartment? Oh, that foam cylinder. <laughs> the foam yoga cylinder. That we dubbed the dick, and it was like magical. Yeah. And then we dressed it up for Christmas. Oh God! Somehow I forgot about that. That there, I was, don't know. That there was like the source of like the majority of our entertainment, like all, all of senior year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for Christmas, because we didn't have a Christmas tree, we just got garland and wrapped it around the dick. And we wrapped lights around it too. That was yeah, awesome. and lights, and then put a Santa hat on top. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. So partly to explain um, that quote by Duke that I just read, that was kind of an excerpt from it. He also explained briefly um, that he had one or two different instruments on the stage during um, live performances, and he would use this stick in his hand that would basically make the lights turn on and show these instruments, and everything would look fancy. So the story in the concert was that the stick was a magic wand that caused all these instruments to come to life. So... And also, I guess, the picture of him on the cover of this album, he has, like, a some, something hanging from his on a string from his neck. Mm-hmm. And he, everybody thinks that that's the dookie stick, but he actually, he said that's not the dookie stick. Oh. But he didn't say what it was. So I guess it's just something. 
But, yeah, basically the dookie stick is a magic wand. But, I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, it's pretty much a dick. (laughs) 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 I mean, mean, the whole thing, he talks about being a magic wand, but at the same time, I mean, it's pretty much an innuendo for these are my main parts. They do magic things to you, baby. They make music. (laughs) Yeah, they make you sing. Well, you can listen for yourself and determine whether Doogie Stick is actually Doogie Dick. We've got this stick that will set you free. All you got to do is uh, take a closer walk with me. And we've got this bag that's full of magic tricks. So come feel if you will the magic of the Doogie Stick. Play Mama. Well, that was a clip from our last song for today, Dookie Stick by George Duke. One of my favorite songs by him. It's a pretty good song. Now what? <laughs> well, it's interesting to see a lot of these songs that have innuendos, especially like you were saying earlier, as early as the 30s, that uh, songs basically had to use innuendos, yeah. even really bizarre ones, just uh, to get these concepts across. Because, I mean, now you can basically say whatever you want exactly. in music, but back then you had to dust your broom and walk the dog and walk the dolphin yeah all that cool stuff and play with your dingaloo <laughs> see if you could count the number of innuendos in this episode yeah listen to it again and tell us how many there were and if you get it right we'll give you a pie yeah. shaped like a dick well I think that kind of wraps up our show for today if you didn't enjoy this episode we apologize we are warming ourselves back up after somewhat of a hiatus in funk radio. Yeah. We hope it was educational nonetheless. We're like the Bill Nye of funk. <laughs> Bill Nye just takes like three weeks off from the show and comes back is like, let's talk about science and like how it relates to your sex, sex drive. I'm pretty sure he did have an episode sort of about like sex and puberty, like in a way that it, looked like it was basically like sexual education. That is amazing. I need to look that up. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. He was on. Uh, he was on Bill Maher last night. That guy is still awesome as ever. Does he still wear the bow ties? Of course. Dude, he's on. He's he's one of the he's one of the contestants on Dancing with the Stars this season. <laughs> not That's cool. But I guess he's on like this whole political tirade now, trying to crush creationism in schools. Mm. He's like nobody can argue that America doesn't want to be innovative, and we shouldn't want to innovate in the world of science and technology, but at the same time, you have schools in Texas demanding that creationism be taught in schools and that the Earth is 5,000 years old. And he's like, that's just wrong. (laughs) It's like, you can't teach things that are wrong. (laughs) And if we want to be innovative, we need to stop this kind of thinking. Well, one thing about Bill Nye is that he always taught us the right things. He did. If you liked our show today, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Search for Funk Radio under podcasts. It's been a while, sorry. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash getyourfunk, where you can get the latest news from not only when we post the episodes, but also other songs uh, that we like that we post and other news, and also um, Spotify playlist of the songs that we talked about in our episodes so that you can listen to the entire songs, not just little clips that we play on the actual show. Yay. So we hope you flogged your dolphin and uh, squeaked your box to this episode and, and to our voices yes of course always and i guess i should probably just say now if you're offended by innuendos sorry sorry yeah we probably should have prefaced that like hey 
But they're in your window, so like people that are prudish, so to speak, aren't going to know what they mean anyways. <laughs> right. So yeah, this has been your host, Kyle. And this has been your host, Peter. Thank you for listening to Funk Radio, and come back for next blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, Bye. I try to talk. Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.